God bless you and welcome to the Love Thy Neighbor podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Wilson, and we have a powerful, powerful uh, show for you today. Uh, I want you to listen in closely as uh, a new friend of mine, uh, an apologist, a author, um, seminary professor, New Testament scholar, uh, Brother Doug Ward. Uh, We had an incredible conversation and you're going to get to be a fly on the wall in uh, this conversation about understanding the Bible. You hear me say so often in this day and time that the greatest revival is getting back to understanding the Bible. And so uh, with my guest today, Doug Ward, uh, uh, author of I Object, a book of of apologetics uh, with great, great information on how to answer some difficult questions. Um, And he'll be answering some questions today on the broadcast. So prepare yourself for understanding the Bible today on Love Thy Neighbor with our guest, Doug Ward. After these messages, we'll be right back. Wilson, and today I have an amazing, amazing guest. Um, I've actually gotten to talk to him a couple of times now, and uh, just a great guy, great, great guy, great uh, uh, man of God really passionate about apologetics, passionate about studying the word. And uh, I just want to introduce to you uh, now a good friend, uh, Doug Ward. How you doing, sir? I'm I'm doing wonderfully this morning. How are you doing, Anthony? I'm doing awesome. Doing awesome. I hear you got sunshine out there in the in uh, Chicago. <laughs> yes. And sometimes we there a lot of Novembers will go the whole month and rarely see the sun. And this is strange, but we're not complaining. <laughs> Amen. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, Doug, uh, can you tell uh, our listeners a little bit about yourself, marriage, family, pastoring, education? Who are you? What do you want them to know about you? <laughs> wow. I would hope the only thing I really want them to know is that I'm, I was a good dad and a good husband. And hopefully at the end of life, I'll hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Um, but outside of that, I, uh, um, I'm married, been married for 34 years. I have two kids, uh, both grown. My, my, my son lives fairly close here in Chicago and they have gifted us two grandchildren with his wife. Um, my daughter lives in Michigan and we have one grandchild through her and another one on the way. Um, I've pastored for about 25 years, the last 17 of which has been here in suburban Chicago at Mundelein Church of the Nazarene. That's a that's a far northwest suburb. I have taught biblical literature and New Testament at Olivet Nazarene University here for the last 17 years. Um, I my master's degree is at Wheaton College in biblical literature. I did PhD work at Marquette University in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Also in biblical literature with us uh, emphasis in New Testament. Um, in uh, authored a few books. One's called I Object: Uncommon Answers to Common Objections to Christianity. That's the apologetics book I think that you and I have discussed. Mm-hmm. And I've also written a uh, commentary slash Bible study on Ephesians that's available at thefoundrypublishing.com and another one on the book of Daniel, though that will not be out till spring. And uh, in the winter, 
I like to run around a high school gym and be a basketball referee just to kind of <laughs> keep the weight off and earn a little money to support my terrible golf habit in the summer. <laughs> this sounds great. Sounds great. Um, very accomplished. Very accomplished. And that's why um, I really wanted to bring you on. Um, Love Thy Neighbor is a podcast that we really dive into reading the Bible, reading it correctly, um, exegeting. Um, we, we, we focus on expository preaching. A lot of people don't know what that means. I might give you a chance to go ahead and explain expository preaching to people. <laughs> they may say, well, what is that? You know, but um, it's really about reading the Bible correctly because there are so many people who read the Bible and say, well, I don't understand it. Uh, my Bible has errors in it. It has contradictions. You know, when people are reading the Bible so often, they struggle to say, this is what God is saying. This is what the Lord is saying. When somebody comes to you and says, well, hey, my Bible's got a bunch of errors in it, a bunch of contradictions. What are some of the things that you like to to share with them? Well, the first thing I... I I'd like to sit down and ask them a little bit about their background. But when you just come and say the Bible has errors and contradictions, my first response normally to people is let's let's set aside errors for now. But about contradictions, I would nod my head and say you are entirely correct. Um, and let me explain why that's important. We have a lot of people that say... The Bible has no uh, errors, no contradictions, no anything. And they, they make that as a statement of faith. And then later they come face to face with places in the Bible where, well, it, it does. Now, let me explain. So when Jesus walks on the water, um, in the Gospel of Mark, when that story is told, the disciples are actually rowing the boat from west to east. In the exact same story in the Gospel of John, the disciples are rowing their boat from east to west. Well, there's an issue there. Which one is it? It can't be both. Um, on resurrection morning, who goes to the tomb? Matthew has two women going to the tomb. Mark has three women going to the tomb. The Gospel of Luke says it's at least five. Where the Gospel of John says, no, it's Mary Magdalene. Now, there's reasons for that. So I guess what I would say is I have these distinctive memories of my grandmother at Christmas time, sitting in her kitchen, making Christmas cookies. She made the best Christmas cookies, standing there in her gray dress, mixing all the ingredients. What if we were to go back and I were to look in her closet and discover that maybe that dress I thought was gray was actually light blue? Does that mean hmm. that my grandmother never made any cookies? Or does it simply mean that for some reason I remembered a gray dress? Um, we get hung up. We expect the Bible to do things that it doesn't claim itself. These are stories that people remembered from 20 years earlier, 30 years earlier. And if Anthony, if you or I were in a court case where we were both witnesses to the same event and we described slightly different details... No one would say, well, they must not have seen it. They would say, oh, they both remembered maybe slightly different things. In fact, if we told a word-for-word -word, um, same testimony, 
the attorney would probably say we were in cahoots and planned it all and would actually be a sign that it, that we were describing something that didn't happen rather than it did happen. And we should apply that same standard to the Bible. Right, right. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense because uh, so often, you know, people are like, well, let's get our story straight. No, you don't want to get your story straight. Just tell the story, right? Exactly. And at the end of the day, we'll be able to see what things are consistent and you'll be able to deal with there's going to be some inconsistencies because we're talking about you know uh stories from different perspectives from with different intention you know um matthew mark uh luke are the synoptic gospels right and then john is something different right (laughs) john has a whole different agenda as each one does can you kind of speak to even their different agenda when they approach even the stories of jesus sure and this is very important. You had mentioned expository preaching earlier. Uh, mm-hmm. I think every Christian should want to go to a church where the pastor mainly does expository preaching. Because it means he's not giving you topics that's on that are on his mind. He's, he's telling you the story, the biblical story, and trying to get the right meaning out of it. So the Gospel of Matthew is the gospel that was written for Jewish believers. And so it, it, it approaches the story from a perspective of someone who knows uh, the Jewish distinctions. Now, in our day, we have this bad um, reputation for the Pharisees. Most people don't know that largely comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, because Matthew is telling us these distinctions. John doesn't tell us any distinctions. Luke doesn't tell us near as much that it, that Matthew does. So so Matthew's really about the uh, Jewish believer. Luke is all about the Gentile believer. He talks about women. He talks about the poor. He talks about those who are sick and goes into great, great detail because that really betrays the Gentile mind. In fact, Luke tells us the first four verses exactly what he's doing. He says, it seemed good for me to write an orderly account of all the things that have happened. So Luke says, I'm doing history. I've, I've interviewed people. I've questioned people. And here's the, the best way I can describe it. Gospel of John is a completely different book. He tells us in 2031, I've written this so that you might believe. So when it comes to that resurrection morning, Luke gives us detail to tell us, hey, there's a bunch of people that went to the tomb, and that seems right. That's the Jewish practice of the day. Women would go as a group. They were mourning. It was a group event. But if you read the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John is this series of one-on-one encounters. You have Nicodemus. You have the woman at the well. You have the teacher of the law in chapter 8. And when you get to resurrection morning, it probably shouldn't surprise us that we find Mary Magdalene alone in this one-on-one encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. It fits what they're trying to accomplish in their gospel, explaining things to their readers. Right. So, so the intention of the original author is very important in us understanding what's being said because so we just read it from our perspective i was actually having a discussion with somebody about jesus's comment about who is my mother and, and who is my brother right you know and it's like that's from matthew's perspective and it's like why is he saying this did his mother and his brother do something wrong are they you know 
it, it really it's about well what's matthew's intention here you know uh when he's writing and so in order to understand that i've got to really understand what matthew's goal is in writing this account versus a luke or a mark right, right? i mean that's why matthew starts his gospel with all that genealogy you know um and and and, and uh, Adam begat this person who begat that person all the way down to Jesus because the Jewish reader would have been very concerned with the genealogy. Hey, look, this Jesus is descended from David. Hey, I should listen to this person. A Gentile doesn't care, but the Jewish readers did. <laughs> right, and a lot of us are like those Gentiles. We're like, man, these genealogies are killing me. Exactly. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know, so that uh, I, I like that point of view. Um, when people come to you um, and you do a lot of apologetics, um, what 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 are some of the major issues that people have that you find yourself talking about all the time? Well, one there's 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 a couple things. Uh, one that pops to mind really quick is. This idea of that we have that uh, we've been discussing, you know, errors in the Bible. Um, another one is um, why does the Old Testament God seem to be so angry? Why does He want to mm. wipe people out? Why does the Bible support slavery? I mean, look at look at uh, Ephesians. It says, "Slaves obey your masters." Look at this. The Bible is for slavery. And, and none of these things are true. And if you read it in its original context, in fact, the opposite is shown. And that's why context is very, very important. Um, so let me just do, let me let me just tackle two of these, Anthony. So so, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the Gospel of John, um, Matthew, Mark and Luke are all in agreement that Jesus died on Friday. It says uh, the day before the Sabbath. But in John, Jesus dies on a completely different day. It says he died the day before Passover. Now, Passover was one of those holidays that weren't on a day, but were on a date. So it could have gone on any day of the week. So the reason that's important in John is, is some people say, look, you can't trust it because these gospels don't even agree on the day that Jesus died. Well, remember, Luke is trying to tell you a history. I think it's probably pretty safe that Jesus died on Friday. But John says, I'm writing so that you might believe. In the ancient world, in the Jewish world, the day before Passover is the day that they killed the Passover lamb in the temple. And then, of course, the blood was used to stain the door frames of the houses on Passover, the very important ritual. Might I suggest that when John tells you that Jesus dies the day before Passover, he's not trying to tell you the time that Jesus died. He's trying to tell you who Jesus was when he died, and that's the Passover lamb for the entire world. He's making a meaning statement, not a time statement. Um, Wow, that's powerful. (laughs) And we, we get locked in. We want the Bible to address issues that it was not trying to address and it was telling a story perhaps we should listen to john and let john tell his story and let luke tell his story 
and not get all concerned with trying to make everything match up because it's important to us. Right. And, and, I, and I think we do run into that. I talk to people a lot of time. They say, well, why is he saying it this way? And why, you know, does he mean this or does he mean that? And it's really about, well, what's the intention of the writer? Let's take into account what is his intention? You mentioned earlier about um, writing a commentary on uh, the book of Ephesians. Uh, and that's a book that my church has been going through uh, over the last month, expositorily, line by line walking through the book of Ephesians um, and the book of Ephesians, you know, we've, we titled this particular series maturity, right? You know, because of the content of Ephesians, Ephesians is an interesting book. And because that's a passion of yours, uh, can, can you kind of commentate on the whole imagery between Christ and the church that we see in Ephesians chapter five, um, 22 through 23, um, what what is it that that the that uh, Paul is really trying to communicate to us through this imagery of Christ being this example for marriage? You know, Ephesians is different than Paul's other letters. Colossians and Philippians and Romans and Galatians, they were written to a specific church at a specific time. Ephesians, we think, is the letter that Paul wrote and meant it to be passed around to all the churches. We don't see personal greetings. We don't see names. And so this is the circular letter. So it has a much broader a focus in mind. And so Paul gets to this part in chapter 5. And it starts off in 21 with this whole uh, encouragement to uh, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mm. And then he starts off with these words, wives, submit to your husbands. And because of those words, many people in modern, the modern Western world throw out this text. Look how woman-hating Paul is to tell these women that they have to submit to their tyrant boss of a husband. And that is nothing can be further from the truth. If you'd go back to the first century, there was something that most Greek writers wrote called a household code. Cicero wrote one, Socrates, Plato, Euclides, they all wrote these household codes. And all of them were written just to the husband, the head of the household. And told the male in the household, you are to manage your home. You are to rule over your wives. They are unstable. They're mentally unfit. They're inherently weak. And so you have to rule over them for their own good. You have to rule over your slaves. And um, so in all of their household codes, the only person that is ever addressed is the male head of household. And then you have Paul come in at the end of chapter five, and he writes his household code, except he does something spectacularly different. He addresses not only the males, but for the first time that we can find in Greco-Roman history, he addresses the wives. He addresses the children. Mm. He addresses the slaves. And he tells the husbands not to rule over their homes or not to... Uh, be a boss, he tells them to love 
to serve and to sacrifice. Paul's Paul's letter would have been scandalous in that day because it addressed the women on an equal basis. And it tells the men to serve and to sacrifice. This was never done. In that day, it would have been scandalous for a completely different reason than we think it is today because we just want to remove something out of its history and read it uncritically. And so we take the wrong message from it. So in their in their environment, him even addressing the women just was a no no. It's like, what are you doing? Why yeah, are you doing that? Exactly. And, <laughs> That's and this whole <laughs> idea, and I and, and we in a previous conversation, I had talked to you about, you know, I'm not Catholic for a lot of reasons, and I, I'm I'm quite happy in my non-Catholic nature. But but one thing I think <laughs> they get right is they consider marriage a sacrament as as a ritual or an act on earth that actually brings grace. And I'm telling you that I think there's not many things that uh, a person can, can, can gain more grace from in this life than a good marriage. Um, The blessings that flow to me because I have a wife that I implicitly trust that, uh, um, I'm a better man. I've learned to be more aware of myself and sensitive, a better father, a better friend, a better everything because of the grace that flows to me from having a wife, loving a wife, sacrificing for my wife. I mature more. I grow more. And I just think in this world that's quick, that, that is increasingly views marriage as this throwaway relationship we have lost out culturally tremendously because we don't value marriages. And I think what Paul is doing in his day, not only in Ephesians, but Colossians and some other places as well, in their world where marriage was thrown away and not viewed with much of a sense of esteem, Paul is trying to get his readers to value and treasure marriage and family in a way that they didn't. And I think that same emphasis would be welcome today. Yeah, that that's that's great. That's powerful because you're right. I, I don't think people see marriage as a sacrament. And I like using that word sacrament, you know, just like, you know, baptism or, you know, the, the Lord's Supper, something that is supposed to be a reflection of God's grace, something that we're supposed to be thankful for, um, because it is a it is a it is a picture of Christ in the church, just like baptisms, baptism is a picture of us being buried with Christ and resurrected with him. And, you know, the communion, you know, uh, that last meal is us partaking of him. And, and so that's a, that's a beautiful picture there that I probably never really thought of. Um, you said something that I don't know if we want to explore, but I just want to ask, you said, you know, about how the Catholic church and how they get this particular thing right. Um, I'm a person that looks for the things that people get right. Even when someone's whole religious ideology to me is based on something wrong, a lot of times I can see certain things that are right. (laughs) You know, is that a skill that we should have, especially when we're ministering to people who have different belief systems of being able to say, well, they actually have this right 
you know, this is not, but this is right. Do you think that that's valuable, being able to recognize that? Yes. I First of all, I, th- I think it's very valuable um, because I think we should always be going into every relationship or potential relationship looking for common ground, looking for ways that we can find some shared identity that we can then use to talk with people. And I think it's even a little bit biblical. If we go back to Romans um Romans chapter two, where where Paul's talking to the Jews and he says, look, it's not that those who are hearers of the word that are that are right in God's sight, but doers of the word. And then he goes into this long description where he goes, wait a minute, there's going to be people who have never heard the law, but who for some reason by nature do the law. And and even though they've never heard about God, they've never heard about Jesus Christ. And yet somehow by nature did the things required anyway, they'll be judged rightly, even though they've never heard about Jesus Christ. And so I think we run into that. I remember a missionary that came by. um, I don't know. You've heard the Jesus film project that goes around the world. And it was they were talking about this evening. I think it was an African village, but it could have been India. So don't 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 pin me down on that. And they showed the, the the movie and at the end most people left and they were packing up the screen and everything else and there was this older man in the back and they went up to him and said can we help you and he, the missionary re- relayed the story of a man with tears in his eyes and he said thank you for coming I've worshipped this man all my life and until tonight I did not know who he was mm. and mm. and Wow. That there are some that there are people that can cut through um, all the potential wrong stuff they've learned, and yet somehow come in contact with Jesus Christ. It's just this example of His provenient grace that flows to us, pursues us, even when we might not be aware of it. Yeah, I, I think that's beautiful because there are some people that will ask the question, and maybe you can speak to this, is that, well, what if I'm, what if, what if the person's in a, a desert island and they, 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 they never get to hear about Jesus? Is that person condemned or is God going to condemn them to hell because they never got to hear this quote unquote gospel message that we're supposed to bring to them? What do you usually, you know, well, say I when someone brings that up? I have a whole chapter in my book up? on that very question. Uh, <laughs> but... I go back to Paul in, in, in Romans where he says those who those who do not do not have the law will be judged as those who do not have the law. Those who have it will be judged according to it. So I was lucky enough to grow up in a home. Right. If, I, I wish everyone would have had the blessing of having my grandfather on one side and my grandmother on the other side. What godly people they were. And so I'm without excuse. I had the best of Christ-likeness modeled for me at the youngest of ages. And yet there are people who never grew up in, in, in private hells with maybe abusive parents and never heard the word Jesus Christ. They're going to be judged by whatever they had the capacity to know. And I can hear Christians everywhere going, but how how do I know what that standard is? And God's answer, I think, is you don't. That's why you need to leave that up to me. Right, right. 
you know, I think about, um, I think it's in Corinthians uh, where he says, uh, it's not for us to judge yes, those who are outside. Absolutely. God judges them, right? So, so I mean, our job is to, you know, hold each other accountable as Christians. We call ourselves Christians. Let's live as Christians. But those that are outside, God's going to have to judge them. Our job is just to, if we can, if it's possible, share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, you know, bring, you know, bring that message to them. But ultimately, um, God is uh, sovereign, which is a word that a lot of people don't use anymore. But God is sovereign. He's got a plan and he's got a way to reach people that um, we possibly cannot. That doesn't mean we shouldn't share the gospel, but that does mean that we do have to trust that God is not willing for anyone to perish, but he wants yes. all to come to repentance and know him. Um, at the end of the day, when reading the Bible, what are some, um, some uh, great suggestions that you would give and someone helping and helping them to read the Bible oh, wow. correctly. You know, I I have I have said this to a lot of people. <laughs> um, there's a lot of people out there that want to read the Bible correctly, and then they go and they buy a like a, a commentary or a set of commentaries that are very expensive, and they slog through them and maybe find them of limited use. And I would tend to agree with that. I, if I would say anyone who's serious with their Bible study, go find a Bible dictionary. And there, there's a number of them. Mm. Um, the best one, I think, is a series uh, by IVP Press. And it's a series of three, a dictionary of Jesus and his Gospels, a dictionary of Paul and his letters, and a dictionary of the later New Testament. But you can find some very good one-volume Bible dictionaries as well. Nelson's and um, I don't think it really matters which one, but any one of these. And so you're you are you you kind of get to a story, um, and you read details on that story. Um, and it, do do we have time for me to give an example of how this works? So, so let's, sure, let's sure, look at the well-known story of Zacchaeus. Jesus goes into, and he, here's how we tell it. Oh, mm -hmm. there's a short guy named Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus. He climbs a tree. Jesus looks at him up in the tree, sees that he's short. And because of his faith, he says, today I come to your house. That's kind of the story we hear. <clears throat> well, let me, let me right. give you the real story. <laughs> If I ask people, where's this story taking place? People say, uh, I don't know. And you, you read the story and it says Jericho. And you say, tell, tell me about Jericho. Well, Jericho is a town. It was actually at a crossroads of two major highways. There would usually be some Romans there. They would collect tolls at this place to use the Roman roads. Jericho was also the city where Herod's winter palace was. And in the winter, Herod would come and stay at his winter palace. Why Jericho? It was a thousand feet below sea level. Um, if I ask you when this story took place, if you go earlier in Luke, this is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem for Passover, which is in March or early April. So we're talking February or early March. The climate of Jerusalem then would have been kind of cold, maybe damp, a lot of in the 50s, where maybe in Jericho, just 10 miles away, way down the valley, the temperature was always in the 70s. And it was always be kind of warm. So when we get to the story of Zacchaeus and we see 
it, and, and I asked who Zacchaeus was, people said a taxpayer, and I would instruct them to read more closely. He's the chief tax collector. That's how he's described. The chief tax. So he's the head right. tax collector. And if the story takes place in February, March, which the Bible says it does, and Herod's palace is in Jericho, guess who Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector for? Herod. Wow. And wow. this That's is Herod story. Antipas, <laughs> which is the son of Herod the Great. If we go back in the Gospels, which leader tried to kill Jesus as a baby? Herod the Great. So Zacchaeus mm-hmm. is the right-hand man of the family that tried to kill Jesus as a baby. And who does Jesus go to in Jericho? The one person he goes to is Zacchaeus. This is not a story of a short guy that climbs a tree. This is a story of the least likely guy for Jesus to go to in the whole town. The one person he should have had uh, a grudge about. The person he shouldn't have trusted. The person who represented the family that tried to kill him. And Jesus goes to that person. This is actually a story about the radical grace of Jesus Christ that flows to everyone, including a representative of Herod. Wow. Wow, that's beautiful. You know, Herod also being the same one who ordered the head of John the Baptist, right? Who ordered the death of John the Baptist. And so Jesus having this conversation with one of Herod's guys is amazing. He should have stayed away from him because if he'd have been smart, he'd have we stayed can't away trust from them, him. Right? That's how we think. <laughs> That's how we think. That is beautiful. And so we see you answering those basic questions of who, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when, where, and all these things are allowing us to see the picture of what's happening, not just reading words. Um, so often, you know, and, and just take a few minutes. I want you to speak to this really quickly. So often right. people take things out of context, right? And they begin yep. to build beliefs off of them. How do we guard against that type of biblical I think we have to remain reading? grounded in the history of it. So I said earlier, you know, when Paul says, slaves, obey your masters. We forget that in Rome, the vast majority of people were slaves and slavery was a paid position. It would be more like a contracted help. Right. (laughs) And often we forget Plato was a slave. Slaves are often highly paid and um, were amongst the most honored citizens of the Roman Empire. So when we automatically read slaves, obey your masters, and I know why we do it. We automatically go to 17th, 18th century chattel slavery here in North America, which is absolutely wrong. (laughs) We don't need to say that. But the fact that we automatically put the biblical text in that context means we've already missed what the Bible's trying to say. And we have to be careful. Uh, The humorous one I always say is, you know, look, it's Thanksgiving coming up. The day after Thanksgiving, I'm going to get on a scale and I'm going to be horrified by what I see. And, and, 
and I'm going to say, man, I need to get in that right. gym. And I need to lose 10 pounds. I need to lose 15 pounds. And I'm going to open up Philippians. And I'm going to read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and I go, yes, I can do that. Yes. And Come I can on, find man. motivation. And that's perfectly <laughs> legitimate as long as I admit that Philippians is not about weight loss. So right. remaining grounded in the history is a guard against us doing wrong things with the text. And if you read the entirety of the Bible, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Have no other gods before me. The Bible is not for it is not about weight loss, nor is it supporting slavery or any other host of bad ideas we have when we take it out of its context. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I, I'm just, I could continue this conversation on <laughs> for hours. I just love talking to you. Um, but for sake of time, and I know your time is valuable, valuable. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be a part of this podcast. Um, I know that the viewers are going to be blessed or the listeners are going to be blessed uh, for what they're hearing. Um, Before we close out, uh, please tell um, our listeners how they can get a hold of you. Uh, Tell me those books again so that we can make sure that they can um, uh, be able to uh, get those uh, great tools. uh, So uh, the the book is entitled, I Object uncommon answers to common objections to christianity it's you can find it on amazon um it's very readable it's 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 meant to be um just at a level where everybody can can profit from it and navigate some of the discussions and arguments that are going on in our culture right now my uh book on ephesians you can find at the foundry publishing um the foundry publishing and it's probably look under like a small group resource and or just put in Ephesians that'll be the title that comes up um, I have uh, a YouTube channel uh, my church is Mundeline which is M-U-N-D-E-L-E-I-N just look on YouTube Mundeline Church of the Nazarene and I have there a video series on introductions to all the New Testament books a more detailed discussion of Galatians, a discussion on Christian doctrine. Anyway, just some content that might help people. Um, but that's just why it's there. And you're doing good work, Anthony. This this podcast is great. I appreciate you and your spirit. And it was a pleasure to join you. Well, thank you very much. And right back at Anytime. you. Um, I can't wait to do this again because I'm definitely going to call. I'm definitely going to reach out to you, especially about specific things. If a topic comes up, I got a guy I can give a call to <laughs> and we can talk about the, the Bible because I get excited about just talking about sure. things that other people don't care about. Exegesis and oh, expository wonderful. preaching and eschatology and all kinds of stuff like that. So uh, I would love to have more conversations with you. Thank you. Thank you so much again for joining me. Um, To my listeners, please reach out, uh, uh, check out uh, Doug's material, uh, check out uh, his YouTube, check out his book. Um, Otherwise, 
hey, until we uh, meet together again, remember to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. God bless you. Till next time.